Friends, I'm sorry I can't be with you in person today. I'm unfortunately in uh, quarantine. Um, I'm grateful though for being vaccinated and boosted and only having very mild symptoms. But uh, nonetheless, I'm sorry I can't be with you in person this morning. But it is good to worship with you even in this way and I'm grateful for technology that allows us to do this. Um, and uh, today I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers uh, in our lives and those who have mothered us throughout our lives. Today we continue our series for Eastertide. Can we talk about the weather? We'll be exploring what it might look like to engage in a faithful dialogue with one another on a challenging topic, climate change. The idea is that the sermon and worship begins the conversation, the discussion that we will continue um, in, in the Sunday school time, uh, that will be um, after worship next Sunday. Um, and that conversation in Sunday school on the 15th will then inform my sermon the following Sunday. This seeks to practice in a more intentional way what I really always hope to do, for the sermon to maybe be the first word, but not the last word and certainly not the only word. Last week, we began this series by calling ourselves to an openness to being transformed by God's Spirit, uh, as it did for Saul and Ananias. Today, we look to uh, the very familiar and beloved Psalm 23, and the image of the shepherd to guide us in our reflection of caring for God's good creation. Following worship, as I said, next Sunday, we'll gather again in the Fellowship Hall for an opportunity for dialogue about this pressing issue of um, creation care and climate change. Everyone's invited to this conversation, no matter what your feelings on the issue are, from thinking it's not a big deal or a hoax to being the most urgent issue for humanity. We need to hear your input as we wrestle together in a spirit of love and faithfulness. This conversation following worship next Sunday will be brought into our sermon for the following week, as I said. So the word from the pulpit is not just from me, but will seek to include and lift up all of our voices. But a fair warning with that, as my family already knows too well, anything you say can and will be used in the sermon the following Sunday, with your permission, of course. Friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Well, friends, as it is Mother's Day, um, our text about a shepherd caring for their sheep reminds me of my mother's extreme distaste for sheep. Our family has taken this distaste to an extreme level. 
with several of my cousins and aunts frequently finding ways to send her sheep-themed gifts every birthday and Christmas. If you were to go to her home, you would find a shelf adorned with dozens of sheep trinkets, Christmas ornaments, and many more things I can't even think of proudly displayed. My mother, in turn, will find sheep-themed items for these relatives to gift to them. It's become an ongoing joke and really a symbol of love in our family. And I believe we account for a decent percentage of the sheep-themed souvenir market out there in this um, economy. So what was the source of this distaste for my mother? Well, she grew up on a farm. And so she knew well that sheep are not the glorious creatures we tend to uh, glamorize and um, understand them as in the church, because instead they are rather simultaneously smelly, dumb, and cowardly. But this image of a shepherd caring for their sheep this image is used throughout scripture time and time again to depict how God leads God's children, like a shepherd caring for and leading his sheep. Our text this morning, Psalm 23, is the signature example of this shepherd and sheep metaphor. It becomes the example Jesus uses in our first reading, that he knows his sheep and they know him. Psalm 23 is attributed to David, which doesn't so much mean that David wrote it, but that it is a tribute or an echo of David. And you can quickly see why. David himself was a shepherd, not as a glorious post, but rather as the lowest job in his family as he was the youngest son. Yet it was his profession as a shepherd that prepares him so well to lead Israel as king to guide, to protect, to nurture his people. Similarly, the psalmist uses this occupational image to show the deep care, patience, and love that God has for each of us. As we begin our discussion on creation care and climate change, I'm drawn to a number of elements in our, in our reading. The psalmist paints a beautiful picture of God's good creation with a shepherd guiding his sheep to green, grassy pastures and to clear still waters to be nourished and fed. While the imagery it's, itself strikes awe about the goodness of God's creation, I'm drawn again to this image of shepherd. In this time of urgent crisis, what might it look like for us as followers of Christ to take on the role as shepherd for God's creation and as shepherd for all of God's creatures. This is actually quite similar to the role our first parents were tasked with long ago in Eden. If you remember in Genesis 2, Adam is asked by God, or rather tasked by God, to till and keep God's garden. Now, this is... Um, an image that a couple of our denomination seminaries have leaned into recently with the farminary at Princeton Seminary and Shalom Farms at Union in Richmond. Now, while I'm an, uh, an alum of Union, I have to admit the Princeton group has a much better name in farminary. Anyways, both groups seek to equip students in their communities with the sense of how to care for creation by cultivating produce for their dining halls as well as area food pantries. 
I know a number of K-12 schools have also been adopting this practice in recent years to instill a sense of responsibility for the earth as well as um, their neighbors within um, the students of these schools. Our own church's community garden um, um, cultivates um, hundreds or thousands of pounds of produce each year for area food pantries. These schools, these, these practices really give us a good example of what it looks like to be a shepherd of God's good creation, to keep, to till, to care for our planet and all of God's creatures, even the ones we don't like, like snakes, not a big fan. But as I said before, the purpose of this sermon really is to cultivate curiosity and to invite our, our community to a time of con- conversation following worship next Sunday the 15th in the Fellowship Hall on the sadly divisive topic of climate change. This is an opportunity to come together, to listen, to speak openly and honestly and lovingly about how we might care for God's creation and all of God's creatures. As I shared with our group last Sunday, each of us will have a different outlook and opinion on this issue informed by our own experience and our own story. Too often in our society, once we disagree with someone on a topic, even an urgently important one, we put our walls up, we find our tribe, we dig our trenches deeper, creating an us versus them scenario that separates us from our neighbors and I'd argue separates us from God as well. There's an important image in our psalm that I think can help guide us here. After stating that God is with him in the deepest, darkest valley, the psalmist tells us that God prepares a table. The table as an image of care and nurture. But here's the kicker. This table is set in the presence of his enemies. This is what God has to say to us when we seek to shut down and tune out our neighbors, co-workers, even family members with whom we disagree. God draws us not only to talk with such persons, but to sit at table together, to share a meal, to join not just in conversation, but in true fellowship. Now, as some of you know, I have a quota for Um, the number of times I am to use Fred Rogers quotes in my sermons, and I found out that I am due for one, so here we go. Mr. Rogers once said that, frankly, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. And friends, this is what happens when God prepares a table for us to sit and share in fellowship with those we disagree with. We learn their stories. We seek to listen and understand their experience. And remember that they too are a beloved child of God with God's spirit alive and at work within them. Perhaps it's when we gather together at table in friendship and fellowship where God's spirit shows up and helps us to hear, see, and behold each other as children of God. Now, Friends, this doesn't mean that everyone will magically agree on an issue as complex and paramount as climate change. Perhaps nor should it. Rather, when we remember that it is God that draws us to sit at table with those of differing opinions and perspectives, and that God's Spirit is alive and at work in each of us, 
We can seek to understand each other and find a way to respond in faith together. I know this seems like a tall task for the divided and polarized culture in which we find ourselves. Thankfully, our psalm reminds us that God, as our shepherd, is always with us, leading us, guiding us. Even in the deepest, darkest valleys, God is right there with us. As we gather at the table in the presence of our enemies and with those with whom we disagree, our heads are anointed with oil and our cups overflow with God's goodness and love. Friends, my favorite words of the psalm by far are the ending. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Scholar Jin Han reminded me a couple of things about the Hebrew present in this final verse. First, that the word surely is an adverb, ach, in Hebrew. And it prescribes not only certainty, but confidence as well. Han reminded me that this word can also be translated appropriately as only. Only goodness and mercy shall follow me. I'm sorry to do this twice, but that word translated as follow is interesting as well. Han argues that a simple translation of follow might be permissible, but is far from ideal. Because this word in Hebrew is more appropriately understood as pursue. It's a much more active kind of following. So let's put this all together. Only goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord our whole lives long. Friends, God not only prepares a table before us, bringing us to share in fellowship with those whom we disagree, but God also pursues us and simply will not stop seeking us out until our lives are filled solely with goodness and mercy. Perhaps it's when we gather at table to seek fellowship with those we are at odds with, when we have this utter confidence that our lives will be pursued by the goodness and mercy of God. As God does not give up on us, perhaps this also means that we are not to give up on one another either trusting with the confidence of the psalmist that they, too, deserve God's goodness and mercy. Friends, as we prepare to come together for dialogue and discussion following um, worship next Sunday, friends, may we seek to be shepherds of God's good creation. As we gather at table together, may we seek to listen to each other, that we might discern how Christ is calling us faithfully to respond to the climate concerns facing our world, trusting that only God's mercy and goodness alone will pursue and abide with each of us our whole lives long. Friends, may it be so for us and for all of God's children. Amen.